welcome to our latest Downtown Den. And uh, today I'm in conversation uh, with the head honcho of one of the premier uh, business uh, businesses, and, and certainly in the property world, a well-known name that's Bruntwood. And of course, it's Chris Oglesby. So welcome, Chris. Thanks, Frank. Good to see you. Yeah, great to see you. And I was I, saying... I'm Go on, mate. Sorry. No, I was just going to say it's not quite the same as when we're uh, when we're fidgeting around on a couple of stools in front of uh, in front of people, but uh, but it's the best we can uh, best we can do. Yeah, and they seem to be working quite well. Um, I mean, there's nothing quite like the face to faces there and the the personal interaction, uh, but nonetheless, it, it's uh, it's not a bad substitute. And I was saying to you offline there that uh, you know I've I've gone to the I've gone to the trouble of putting my Manchester City coloured night top on today in honour of you because you're a massive Man City supporter. And Joseph Venables has, uh, has already typed into the chat room to basically criticise your dress sense, Chris. He's saying, what the bloody hell are you doing wearing a real neck jumper? Yeah, I know, it's, pretty, it's pretty chilly inside, actually. So, yes, it is warm out, but uh, no, I, I typically follow the sun around the house during the day, so I, I'm in different rooms, but... Uh, but now I'm in a shady, shady room at the moment um, that hasn't had any sun on it. So, yeah, that's why I'm in my roll neck. But otherwise, yes, my, my plan was a, a sky blue round neck today. <laughs> that we would have matched. <laughs> right. Well, listen, Chris, let's get into the conversation. And, um, you know, the great thing about Bruntwood and the reason why downtown's been able to develop such a positive relationship with you guys is that we've sort of followed you around different cities. Um, so we're based in Bruntwood buildings in Liverpool, in Leeds, in Birmingham, and of course, uh, Manchester. So I just really want to do a little bit of a, a visit to each of those cities to see where uh, you think they are in terms of their progress and development. And more importantly, where Bruntwood are in terms of the projects that they're involved in in those places. Um, and let's start um, with Liverpool, because, uh, of course... Uh, it's not been all bad news through the lockdown. There was a fabulous announcement as far as that city was concerned just a couple of weeks ago with the big deal that you guys are involved in uh, in the knowledge quarter there. Tell us about that deal, Chris. Yeah, that one's been quite a long way, uh, a, lot, a long time in the, uh, in, in the coming. We, uh, after, we, um, after we bought uh, Manchester Science Park, which was, is now about eight years, eight, nine years ago, uh, we started looking at uh, where there were similar um, similar setups in cities that we're operating in, and, and Liverpool was an obvious uh, was an obvious one. Um, but it's, as I say, it's taken a while um, for uh, partners there to get to a place where they um, they they, they realised they really wanted to bring private sector uh, private sector support in to help them drive forward the vision. I think they've done very well recently. Um, uh, amazingly well in some ways, which I think is down in part to uh, to the vision of Colin Sinclair, who's been leading the Knowledge Quarter. The fact that they started the development there with Paddington Paddington Village, which arguably was the toughest site because it was the one that was furthest from Lime Street. And actually now what we've got to go at is everything that uh, that sits at him in, in between. So, uh, so no, Scientech I think is, uh, is, 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 is hugely exciting. Um, uh, we've got really strong uh, civic leadership in in Liverpool now in, uh, in in Tony Reeves, who gives us a lot of confidence, um, and uh, and strong leadership in the uh, in the three universities, in uh, both Liverpool University and, uh, and and John Moores, but also and particularly I think relevant now in this uh, in this world of pandemics, uh, the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine, which has such expertise uh, in that uh, in that area. Um, so uh, no, hugely excited with the Scientech deal. Um, still, big believer that there is a great opportunity to continue to develop our works brand in the um, in the in the centre of Liverpool as well. Uh, we've seen the dynamics of that market uh, improve immeasurably over the last five years, um, as a lot of the supply has been taken up for alternative uses, which have added to the vibrancy of the city and the footfall in the city uh, as well. Um, and uh, no, certainly coming out of COVID uh, and being involved in science tech, we can really see what are those um, what are those industries that's going to drive Liverpool forward. And also working with the civic partners in the university and the in the city, 
uh, to really ensure that the strategy of the city is is focused on uh, the strengths of the city uh, and what makes it distinctive. So, no positive about uh, positive about Liverpool. Um, I, I'm not going to say I'm negative about any of the cities. I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, why would you? I think they've all got. No, great I mean yeah, clearly, clearly, what, I mean, at macro overall, there is a there is a massive concern um, that. That, that we're heading into a period that reminds me a bit of the 1980s where we're going to end up with structural unemployment because we've accelerated the the coming of the fourth industrial revolution with this whole thing and we've seen five years worth of innovation in six months and so we're going to see jobs disappear and disappear forever but hopefully this time around we're ready to re to upskill people and all of the civic conversations i'm having at the moment are that importance of getting the providers in place ready to upskill people for the new jobs because one thing that we have noticed in all our cities who are creating more jobs than we can fill at the moment and the challenge that was before covid but i think that will still be the case in particularly in 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 parts in industries where digital is disrupting and so how we get uh, get our workforce upskilled to take those new jobs in a digital world is is, is the big challenge anyway let's get back to cities and uh, where do you yeah, want to go next yeah i think i'll uh, i mean i'll i'll come back to some of those points later in the conversation obviously but just sticking with Liverpool for one moment I, I think you know in the past the city has often been hit by recessions and by crises such as the ones we're experiencing at the moment and dreaded the other side of it because it's often gone into those recessions in the doldrums anyway um, so I think a couple of things firstly as you mentioned Chris you know there was already a bit of a buzz about Liverpool on the back of the capital of culture in 2008, it started to develop a much better reputation and win some investments and regenerate parts of the city that had been neglected for a long time. But I think the significance of the investment uh, that you guys have made alongside your investment partners, LNG, is it's a massive tick in the box in terms of a vote of confidence. Uh, and I think, you know, if you're a Liverpool salesperson, if you like, for the city, so if you're at the city council or if you're at marketing Liverpool, the fact that you can actually go to other investors and say, well, look, the, the credibility is here because we've just secured this investment. That's massive for a place like Liverpool, Chris. Yes, and the one thing that LNG and ourselves are, sure, are absolutely sure about is that we're keen to work with the city to bring in, to, to, to bring in more investors as well. Um, we're, we, 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 we see that there are a number of very key um, sort of synergistic projects that are that are being talked about across the city region, and uh, and whilst there's a, a there's a degree of overlap and competition there, most of them are actually helping drive value for the other, and therefore um, and therefore working. And we're not going to you know we have, we don't have the bandwidth to do everything. We're not trying to do everything. What we want to do is be collaborating with others uh, on really getting that uh, getting that vision for the city right and and ensuring that it's being funded and and delivered by credible operators that are really going to be able to deliver it as well okay so if we uh move uh, up north a bit uh to leeds and uh leeds i want to talk two things here really brookwood's involvement because obviously uh, some significant and key developments that you're involved in in the city um but also you know you and i've had long discussions about our support for devolved powers uh, and the northern powerhouse has been a project that Brumwood have been very closely associated with i know you're a keen supporter of um so as i say two things here chris really in terms of leads firstly the projects that you guys are involved with secondly the news that came through in march and has probably been overshadowed by covid19 but it was that devolution deal that west yorkshire finally managed to get over the line and I'm sure, like me, you're quite excited at that prospect of being able to deal with uh, a city regional mayor and see those additional resources come into Leeds that uh, they've not been able to get their hands on because of that failure of a combined authority governance model. Yes, yeah, so that, that, that was a hugely significant thing. And we all, I mean, we, there's a number of, I mean, we're on the, we've been relatively on the periphery, but we have been working with the, through the Northern Powerhouse partnership with Yorkshire on the various different iterations of the of whatever that uh, devolution deal was going to look like and um, the sort of internal politics within the wider county held back you know continued to hold it back but they they came up with a pragmatic solution in the end which is going to be hugely important I think for 
you know, th those places that are going to thrive coming out of this are almost certainly those places which take control of their own destiny. Um, that was always going to be the case without COVID, in my opinion, with Brexit dominating the national government agenda and therefore the resources in national government not being there particularly. So therefore, you know, places needed to come up with their own solutions and then go with the ask and government, if you can come up with something credible, government are really keen to support um, and, and the levelling up agenda that they talk about is, I really believe, is genuine. I mean, the proof will be in the delivery, but every single minister that you speak to is desperate for credible levelling up projects as well. Um, but there's no question this government at the moment is interested in places where they've got those devolved powers and where they are working um, effectively with those devolved powers in order to come up with plans. So I think that's hugely, it's hugely significant for, uh, for, for Leeds as a city and its broader economic, uh, economic geography. Um, and then, yeah, just prior to the, I mean, we, we felt there was some real um, progress. Um, we're, we're quite, we're close, very close to digital economy in Leeds, having done the tech incubator at uh, a platform and uh, seeing some really interesting um, uh, tech that is uh, t uh, that is particularly coming off sort of historic strengths in uh, in Leeds. So Leeds was a you know in the day going back to the days of the building societies, particularly it was a particularly strong financial centre and it's got good fintech. Uh, we, um, we 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 had seen uh, because of the NHS press strong NHS presence there some very strong um, health uh, health health tech um, as well. Um, and uh, and the news about Channel Four coming in that uh, we we housed initially at uh, a platform and then into uh, into uh, our building Westgate before they make the move into the Majestic. Uh, that that you know that 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 will um, in the, in itself it's relatively small. Um, it's a small then it's not a huge operation, but uh, I think um, what it will do for sort of media in the city will be tremendous. And uh, and again, it's a just going back to you talking about Bromwood and LNG and sort of, you know, these totemic things that you're able then to point to others. And I think Tech Channel 4 is, is, is hugely totemic for, uh, for, for, for Leeds. Yeah, the hope of being adapted as a catalyst for other things. And, and Leeds has needed, I think, something to, to focus on in some respects. I mean, I think, you know, the football supporter in me always looks at Premier League football clubs and the benefits that they bring to cities and the economy. And I think Leeds were on the verge of, uh, of secure and promotion. So um, not because of the Premier League, because uh, I, I wouldn't mind that being postponed scrap, but uh, for the first division, I'd like to see Leeds coming up. So fingers crossed for them. Let's move up to, uh, to your hometown then. Yeah, uh, just before, actually, just before we leave, Leeds, just, I mean, just one other thing, I think, you know, when we've, when we've been looking at it, it's, it, it's historically its economy has been one that has been very broad which in many ways is a strength but almost as the capital city of Europe of, of, of Yorkshire rather than necessarily a large city within the UK with specific strengths and one of the things that uh, we're starting to see the city really start to do is to drill into now what those strengths are and I think that's the thing that's really going to kick it on is when it when it's sort of looking at right these are the things that we're actually best in class nationally at as opposed to necessarily being the you know the the the, the you know the city capital for its uh, economic geography as it's been in the past with a very broad economy um so uh, yeah the devolution is going to be huge for that but anyway yeah, they're moving on to uh, to manchester manchester yeah where uh, you do one or two things in manchester uh, and of course listen the developments that you've been involved in in the past in the city have been hugely impressive and the relationship that Bruntwood have had with the council uh, and other stakeholders in terms of helping the regeneration of Manchester over a period of 25 years and more now. Um, but equally, you know, the great thing about the city is that it never sleeps. It never rests on its laurels. You know, Sir Richard and Sir Howard were always um, putting this mantra out there that let's not look backwards, let's look forwards. We've got to look at what we do next. And again, in terms of the next steps in that Manchester journey, uh, Brookwood have got some very interesting initiatives that they're involved in. Yes, and uh, I, I, who knows who came up with it first, but the Manchester Build Back Better um, slogan is one that's now being used pretty well globally. Um, and I'm sure we probably pinched it from somebody uh, ourselves, but... Uh, 
But as we look at um, where, where Manchester was prior to COVID, which was we've regenerated our economy from the sort of uh, the 1980s industrial decline. We've built a service sector. We've generated uh, a degree of wealth, but that wealth hasn't spread itself evenly across the city. And for the city to, to, to kick on, we now need to have more inclusive growth for the growth of the city to be sustainable. And so that agenda was already very much um, at the heart of both the Manchester uh, uh, strategy and the Greater Manchester strategy. And what COVID has done is it's really, it's really um, sort of played that up uh, further. So um, as we come back, and I think, all, I mean, I'm talking about this in a Manchester context, but actually I think all of the cities are thinking this way, that we've really, this is going to cost, cost us um, as, a, as a country and as cities um, a huge amount in lost economic output and lost wealth and if, if it, the one thing that we must do is never waste a good crisis and this, this is one which we've got to use to accelerate change and if we do use it to accelerate change then we hopefully will be able to sort of well, not quite forget about that cost but that, that it, will, it will appear um, to be uh, uh, to, 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 to be something that's palatable. Otherwise, I think we're going to look back at this at this period and think we were bloody crazy um, to have in, inflicted the damage that we uh, that, that that we have. But if we use it well, then uh, then, then 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 I think it's going to be a, a real positive. So within a within a Manchester context, that is ensuring that the work that we've been doing on our clean energy and sustainability and the green economy that that we really use this as a catalyst to push that to, to push that forward that a lot of the um the work that we're doing in health through um, our devolved health budget and um and in health innovation that we drive that forward to ensure that we uh that we deal with some of the big health deprivation that we've got which is holding back our our economy uh, so much um that we take advantage of our expertise in things like advanced materials and particularly graphene and push forward that, but also the, uh, the, 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 the whole advanced manufacturing sector, which I think we've, we've, we've seen just so badly exposed through the COVID crisis as to how supply chains are so fragile and so more sort of close to market manufacturing um, as well and how we can turn the efficiency that we're going to drive through digital to the benefit of, of both the people whose jobs it is that we're going to be liberating through digital as opposed to people like me that own businesses who are just gonna get wealthy out of efficiency. And, uh, and again, for this to be, I'm sort of passionate about the whole productivity uh, piece, which is holding back the country so much, but that productivity has got to be uh, used in a way in which we can deal with um, you know, wage inequality and everything else. And we can take people who are currently paid you know, minimum or even living wage and turn those jobs into jobs that are properly productive and rewarding for the people that are doing them. So that's sort of the, the sort of broader macro context. And then in terms of the, how, we, how are we then engaging, both engaging with the city region and the city in terms of developing that strategy and then evolving and then aligning our strategy in the city to that. And we've got the two legs of the business, Brontwood SciTech and Brontwood Works. And actually in Manchester, a third leg, which is the health partnership that we've got with the Manchester Foundation Trust, which operates the um, the hospital in central Manchester and north and south and we've seen the big announcements about the investment in both north Manchester and south and those are not about building new buildings for hospitals in isolation it is all about how um, the medical sector can be used um, as a wider sort of regen um, piece for the for the broader area and to bring about that big societal change as well so to reimagine health in in society the health provision in society and we've got the opportunity to do something really exciting um, with those two hospital campuses, as well as continuing with the work that we're doing with uh, on the central campus, where the, uh, the second city labs building is, uh, is 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 well underway and um, is going to be a major new diagnostic centre. And uh, and the third city labs building got planning recently, and we're uh, and we're we're in discussions with a number of people for for that as well. And then on the tech side. Um, despite the COVID slowdown. In fact, the two big projects we've managed to keep going through COVID are Circle Square and City Labs, uh, working with CISCs and Sir Robert McAlpine, both contractors, uh, have been fantastic in terms of working up risk assessments for COVID at pace in order to keep those jobs going. Um, but the, the vast majority of the Circle Square customers that we were in active discussions with are still progressing those discussions. So confident that we'll be able to push on with the next uh, the next phase of uh, of that um 
and uh, and then the other the other key project for uh, projects for 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 for, for, for Brentwood SciTech are on the Manchester Science Park campus. We've we, we've got planning for our next new building there uh, to follow on from the Bright Building base, which again will be uh, focused on uh, focused on uh, tech particularly, and then out at Alderley Park. Uh, things are things are crazy out there at the moment, as you can imagine, having developed the new lighthouse testing facility. Uh, we've got the capacity to do 30,000 tests a day there at the moment, and hopefully we'll soon get up to uh, to much higher capacity than that. But we've got a number of other businesses. There must be, between the City Labs campus and the Oldley Park campus, there must be 15 different businesses at least all working on COVID at, at the moment. And then in the works business in the, in the CBD, we've been cracking on with the Pioneer programme developing um, buildings following on from uh, the blueprint that we did at NEO but then taking that taking that on and evolving it with every new different building so 111 Piccadilly, Blackfriars House and uh, Lowry House are the three that have followed on on from that so yeah lots going on. An awful lot going on in Manchester uh, and the final city that I'm going to talk about and then I want to move into how Bruntwood has evolved as a business over the years and I guess about to evolve of again because you've got yourselves involved in some interesting shopping centre sites as well. Um, so Chris, uh, Birmingham, which I know is a city that uh, that excites you uh, in terms of the work that you're involved in there, uh, and of course HS2, um, fingers crossed and everything else, but the government seem committed to that project, project going ahead. Um, so tell us about Bruntwood's involvement in Birmingham and, of course, the great potential and opportunity that's come in that city's way um, through, amongst other things, the Commonwealth Games, which, of course, you were involved in in Manchester. Yeah, yeah. And so you're, you're absolutely right. We're, we are very excited about the future in Birmingham. Um, got a great mayor um, in Andy Street in the West Midlands uh, there who... Is somebody that we can we can definitely work with and uh, and shares our vision. Uh, we've um, just got planning permission for our first new building at the Innovation Birmingham campus, the Science Park, that's got a real tech focus to the north of uh, to the north of Birmingham, um, which uh, well, I say to the north, just to the north of the city, the, the, the city centre, adjacent to Aston University and Birmingham City University. Uh, where we had the launch of the 5G test um, facility, uh, the virtual launch two or three weeks ago. Um, and there's some amazing uh, things being done out of that, uh, out of that, um, uh, that, that campus. Uh, Birmingham with its sort of historic motor, motor trade expertise, there's, there's work uh, on, uh, on, on a lot of work on things like autonomous vehicles as well as a whole range of things. Um, we've got the sportswear brand Gymshark in there as a, as a tech, uh, as part of our tech incubator as, as well. Um, but we're hoping to bring out uh, the new best part of 100,000 square foot Enterprise Wharf building there, which we've got planning for and we've got some strong pre-let discussions on, on that at the moment. Um, and then continuing to explore how we can um, how we can further build on the this, the, the, the Bromwood SciTech presence with some life science, hopefully in uh, in, in Birmingham as well. Uh, and then within the central business district, we're seeing um, seeing that market performing better than we've seen since well we first we first bought up the first building in Birmingham in the in the mid nineties and. Uh, uh, you know, leading up to this, uh, we've seen really, really strong demand, and again, a broadening of the economy down there. Uh, so, yeah, there's two or three things that we've got half an eye on at the moment to expand the portfolio because we're, we're we're full, uh, full in the city. HS2 to Birmingham, I will happen. There, are, I can see no way that that won't happen. I mean, one of the things I think for HS2 particularly. Um, and this stands us in good stead in the north for uh, HS2 North and Northern Powerhouse Rail, which again I am convinced uh, with our new transport secretary, uh, he's got the bit between his teeth and in terms of his KPIs, uh, that is right up there as number one. Um, we're going to have surplus capacity in our construction uh, industry in the, in, in the UK and they are recognising that they need these big infrastructure projects in order to keep that construction industry uh, working to capacity. So uh, so I'm, I'm absolutely convinced we'll not only, I mean the, the section to Birmingham, I just, there's no way they can row back on that now, um, but the northern section absolutely will, uh, will, will, will happen as well. Great stuff. So Chris, I, I 
open my remarks by saying that Bruntwood was a property company. And of course, when it started out, it was very much focused on property uh, and commercial office space. Uh, but it's developed into so much more now. Uh, you've mentioned the uh, involvement of the business in terms of science and health and tech. Uh, and of course, more recently, you've got into shopping centres as well. Uh, it's a business that's always managed to evolve and to stay ahead of the game. Uh, and of course, in times when you hit a bump in the road, as we are now, um, I always think there's lessons to learn from bigger businesses, even for SMEs, uh, because it's that ability to be flexible and to adapt and to see new opportunities and how you perhaps need to change your product that has kept Bruntwood uh, ahead of so many of its competitors. And as I say, taking you into new markets. What sort of thinking goes behind those new uh, initiatives, projects that you guys decide, right, we're, we're going to get involved in them. Because there's no way back in the 80s, uh, Michael was thinking about, yeah, I might go and buy a shopping centre one day, was there? Oh, no, he did. Did he really? He did. Oh, no, he did. I mean, I, uh, I was working in London. I was working in London at the time, and I was working as an investment agent. And uh, I, we digress slightly, but my dad's first ever building was a, was a gas meter factory in Farnworth, which he bought in 1976. It was Bronco's first purchase. So as I'm sitting there as an investment agent in Birmingham and the details for, for Farnworth Shopping Centre come across my desk, I think I know somebody that will buy this. So <laughs> get on. In fact, my dad, historically, he used to own some shops in Blackpool and a few other... Um, he, there was a period when he was desperately trying to find the next thing when, after he'd been doing industrial breakups, when he tried lots of different things before finally settling on offices in the city centre and then the Bruntwood that everybody knows today was, was born and that was when I came back up in the early 90s. But, uh, but no, we owned... And, and my first job when I moved back up to work for Bruntwood, he gave me was the management of Farmworth and we had to re-roof it. And I remember being out um, sort of two o'clock, every time it rained, I was out at two o'clock in the morning putting tarpaulins up and everything to protect the market traders. Uh, so, uh, but no, so, so I, I actually, the, the, so the answer to your question is not perhaps what you would have expected, which is actually what, one of the things that we do still is we try and innovate like a small business. So what I do is take myself back to the, to the smaller business that I used to run. Uh, when I joined Bruntwood, we employed about 50, I think it was 15, 20 people. There's a shot of us all outside Abney Hall. Um, and even when I took over running the business, there were, what, 70 of us, I think, in total at that stage in 99. So, um, so, so, so when you are nimble, it, it's, 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 it's continuing to look for where there is that market need. What is it that's not being satisfied? And, uh, and, and where is the, you know, when there's disruption in something, that's where there is real opportunity. And so I, I always try and, I always balk slightly when, uh, when people talk about us buying shopping centers because uh, we had a nightmare uh, in, I think it was, yeah, it was, it was beginning of January. I'd done an interview with the Times in November all about community and everything. And I was expecting this really nice article about how Brockwood were working with communities to redevelop, you know, and this article came out sort of, right, it was like they had their little bit on the front page as well about it. Uh, you know, Oglesby says buy shopping centers now, which of course, will live to haunt me for the rest of my life because I, I said, in theory, I said that just before COVID hit. In practice, I never said buy shopping centres. What I did say and what I do believe still firmly, and I think we did the right thing, because I, I believe absolutely in altering in Stratford as I do in, in Wigan and as I do in Ashton and as I do in Bury and all of the other GM towns. Uh, that where you've got a progressive local authority that understands what it needs to do is that there is a real opportunity to take these town centres and, uh, and, and, re and, 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 and to, to reimagine them as, as they need to be. Uh, it's been quite enlightening going through COVID and seeing that the horrible dysfunctional relationship that there is between big retailers and landlords and the mm. approach that big retailers therefore take. But actually... Um, working in partnership with people that want to work with us in the places to make those places better places to build footfall to work with the local community um, to you know what we're going to have to do is reduce the amount of um, pure retail uh, because there's, le there's less demand for it it's stating the obvious but and increase the footfall by putting more people working and living there 
and then putting more leisure in in as well to come up with a more vibrant uh, vibrant um, uh, center but the thing we've got to guard against is reducing the retail down too much because I actually do believe that physical retail will come back in these places as they become more attractive places to be in and in Altrincham as well a lot further down the line having established itself as being a good place for F&B actually retail footfall has started to tick up and if we can act if we can now reimagine what a fashion cluster would look like in a place like Altrincham which is very different to what it historically looked looked like and we can introduce a bit of things like Afflex, uh, you know, the Afflex concepts and market, um, some independence some maker space. Uh, we've got the ability that a lot of the space hasn't cost us very much and therefore um, we can offer it on very flexible terms. Then, then you start to create a, the kind of retail environment that's going to be interesting for people to engage with physical retail again. So, uh, and, and the same thing applies to Stratford. It's just a bit, it, it, we're just a little bit further back on the Altrincham experience. But, and Stratford's very different. Altrincham's a market town for a far bigger area, whereas Stratford is, uh, is, is very much a, a sort of a village for the, for, the, for the local population around it. And so we're, we're going through a very deep engagement process with the... Uh, with, with the local community on, on what we're going to do there. So, uh, so now what we, we thought we, we'd been working in our GM towns for, uh, I think we made, we, well, I mean, historically the company's been there right from the very beginning, but, mm. but in terms of our offices, we've been working in the GM towns since the late nineties. And we've seen them come, um, when I moved back up to Manchester in 91, rents were higher in South Manchester than they were in the city center. They've then gone right down which we saw as presenting an opportunity then where spaces offer lower rent to provide something as a different alternative and as I say, create, recreate these local communities, which we knackered so much with some crap out of town development in the 1980s, whether that was offices or, uh, or retail. So we're, we're, we're very positive and, we, and, and, a, and strong cities need really strong towns around them that provide a different living and sort of leisure experience to a city experience as well. And in terms, Chris, of, you know, the challenges when you sat down, uh, I'm sure, to look at your plans for 2020 uh, and the next three years, you probably saw, you know, that finding the, the solutions to those problems in towns as being the significant thing that you may have to overcome. I doubt whether you've been looking at cities like Manchester, Birmingham, Liverpool, Leeds, thinking, well, we're going to have to really reconfigure how we operate in the cities. Uh, because, of course, pre-COVID, uh, each of those places, uh, we, they have momentum, um, they all have plans in place. And, of course, we hope most of those, if not all, will be delivered. But nonetheless, we do have to start to rethink how we operate, don't we? And how we start to get the economy back up and running, how we give confidence back to the workforce and to consumers to start utilising cities once again. Yes, and uh, I'm, again, think that there's no point in fighting it. Um, we've got to embrace it. Uh, one of the things we did to keep our construction sites going was to sit down with the contractors and say, right, we believe we can operate safely. We are the most, uh, one of the most um, uh, heavily regulated industries in terms of health and safety so if any industry can come up with safe practices uh, it should be us and we came up with safe practices that allowed people to work within two meters of each other uh, which meant that we could keep the jobs going and what we need to, I, I think we need to take that some a level of that spirit into the recovery we've got to recognize that the only way we're going to recover is by creating a safe environment and we've got to absolutely prioritize that and uh, um, you know, there's nothing launched formally yet, but as and when GM launches its um, strategy, uh, I'm, you know, it will be leading with a, uh, a safety first message. And the way in which we're going to do that is, is in sort of true collaborative style. And, uh, you know, we're in, we'll encourage all of the cities to, to think, be thinking this way. You need to have business working with civic leaders, working with the transport uh, um, executives working with the unions um, in order that we're able to, uh, to, to, to come up with a solution that knits itself together because when you start to think about how you get people back to work it starts from that, that starts from them at home um, so we need to be thinking joined up about things like childcare. we need to be thinking then about how they're going to get to work 
when they arrive at work, if it's a multi-let building like one of ours, then you've got to think about the landlord and how they're dealing with the common parts. And then you finally get to the space that somebody occupies. And, um, and, and the idea that agile working, which a lot of us were already starting to adopt, we need to be thinking about that not only we need to be thinking about that through a co basically through a COVID lens in the fact that if everybody starts work at between 8.30 and 9, as we see, you know, all of our lift traffic at the moment, then we're not going to be able to get everybody into work and we're not going to be able to get everybody into buildings. And so we need to be working collaboratively on how do we start to change the working day so that you've got people starting at different times, um, work on density levels in the short term so that we don't, we don't, get a, we don't have the same levels of, of, of density. Um, but to build that confidence back in everybody in the population, having scared the life out of them to try to get them to lockdown, we've uh, we've got and, the, and that and that responsibility to recreate that confidence is something that we've all got to take and and see us each of us doing our incremental little bit as contributing to it, rather than just expecting central government to change the narrative and stay alert. Suddenly makes people feel more comfortable because because it ain't going to cut it. Do you think though, Chris, just sticking on that point in terms of government narrative at the moment, I mean, I, I've been very impressed with the way in which the government's handled the economic challenge that it's faced. And, you know, I think the business support packages that Rishi Sunak has put in place have been hugely impressive. Um, but I'm less impressed um, by the inconsistency of messaging coming out around health. And, and I somewhat perhaps uh, naively expected Sunday's announcement from the Prime Minister to be a little bolder. I thought that we'd see a, a turning of the dial more towards that mindset of we're now on a, a journey back into work. Uh, it didn't quite come across a, a, as that to me. Uh, and I just wonder, Chris, where we sit on this now as as business leaders such as yourself, because of course we're concerned about protecting people's health and particularly the most vulnerable uh, from the COVID crisis. But if we stay into lockdown for too much longer, then there isn't going to be an economy to come back to. And therefore the services that we rely on at the moment, care, health and all those other things, uh, we're not going to be able to support. So at some point, I think we do need to move the debate on. We, we do, um, but in order to do that, we've got to recognize that um, we've got to, we have got to be able to get across the fact that, um, that we're taking measures that are gonna make people safe. Uh, so we've got to bite that bullet. Um, you and I were talking just before we started this call about things like lifts. So, you know, in typ typ your average lift, if you were to employ two meter distancing, then you're one person in a lift. And if you're one person in a lift, then you're off, you know, anything above the fourth floor or whatever, and you're knackered. So, but actually, um, you know, you don't have to be two meters apart if people are facing in opposite directions and therefore you demark your lift, you put somebody on, you get people to work at uh, more flexibly in terms of their hours and you can get more people in. Um, and there's the there's the sort the, there's the if we accept the rules have been drawn up as the rules have been drawn up, but the health and safety executive are very clear that where you can't keep two meters distance, then come up with you know method statements that allow you to work around that. And so, the really important thing is that everybody is prioritizing uh, the you know the way in which they're assessing risk in order to be able to get around the challenges. Um, and that those of us that can work from home, um, yes, the, you know, the advice is if you can work from home, work from home. But I think it is also important that we do show leadership and that we do get out because, the, you know, there, there is a fairly ugly um, sort of subtext here, which is that the wealthy are all working from home in their houses with gardens and they're going to send all of the low paid workers in uh, at high risk to do the jobs in manufacturing security and all of those other things that uh, that need to be done and, uh, and and that's you know if that is the case then, then then those people who are going back are going to feel very reluctant to be the only ones going back so it it is i think it is really important that we're seen to be uh, to be leading uh, as well um and you know from a personal point of view uh, if they if they do introduce the 14-day quarantine whilst it'd be very easy for me to 14-day quarantine after a nice holiday in the sun this summer i'm not going to do it uh if the people that are working on the front line in my business can't take a holiday in the sun because i can't afford for them to take 14 days quarantine yeah 
Yeah, some some good points, Chris. I, I, and I just wanted to pick up on something you said earlier as well. And uh, you know, it's a a long used expression, but somebody did once say, uh, "Never waste a good crisis," because there are always some opportunities and potentials uh, for people uh, moving forward. Um, so, in that respect, Chris. Uh, as I've said earlier, you know, Bruntwood are one of those businesses that have proved to be flexible, nimble. The size of Bruntwood has never stopped you from innovating. Um, but as you look at the broader economy now, um, you mentioned a couple of things in your earlier remarks. But let's just expand upon where you see challenges, but equally, as I say, some opportunities moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I so, so I mentioned health, and I see, you know, stating the stating the bloody obvious, but the, the, that certainly uh, there are there are huge opportunities in health. Um, I mean, one of the areas we're particularly strong at in the northwest is uh, antimicrobial research, and so if you think about antibiotic resistance, uh, that should have been high on the agenda, but we were struggling post George Osborne. George Osborne announced fifty million of funding for a new AMR centre in Alderley, and then Theresa May pulled it uh, immediately. Um, I think getting investment into AMR in the Northwest where Liverpool, Manchester and Alderley, we've got real strength. Uh, um, but there are, health, there are health opportunities, health data in, uh, in Leeds. Um, and there's, 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 there's health strengths in each of, the, each of the cities and I think that's one of the big areas. I mentioned earlier about manufacturing as well. And I do think um, more local manufacturing is, uh, is is something that all of the city regions need to prioritise. Um, it's it's the less sexy part of uh, of, of, of regen, um, but uh, the jobs that we're creating in manufacturing nowadays are good quality jobs for for, for local people. So, um, um, huge opportunities still in digital um, uh, as 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 well, and then that and then the clean economy where I, I think. Um, our sector particularly has got to take a, a real a real lead and um, you know just just on that uh, I think our cities really need to be very bold as well um, I know all of the cities are thinking about how they do that um, uh, Birmingham uh, I know particularly about Birmingham and Manchester I don't quite have the detail in terms of what Liverpool and Leeds is thinking is but you know how far do we follow the example of somewhere like Milan um, in terms of significantly reducing cars in cities and uh, making them more pedestrian and bike friendly, making them better quality places to live. Um, I think, again, COVID has shone a light on some of the challenges about city living. Um, um, uh, you know, I'm very lucky uh, not to be living in an apartment at the moment, but uh, making our cities more uh, better quality places for the residents, I think, um, you know, make, make, making them greener, making them cleaner and safer is going to be really, uh, really important. Um, so doing something really, really radical uh, uh, to, to, in terms of our approach to the cars in our cities is, is, a, is a big thing as well. Chris, thanks for that. I'm uh, going to go to our audience uh, because there's a few questions in the chat box and I've had a couple emailed to me as well. And I'll start with uh, uh, somebody who's well known to you and I, big personality in the Manchester business community, Lisa Morton, who's the chief executive of uh, PR agency Roland Transfield. Uh, and her question, Chris, is what have you learned about yourself as a leader during the pandemic? Great question. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks, Lisa. And uh, yeah, I hope things are going going well for you in London. It was, uh, with hindsight, a brave time to be uh, to be to be opening up uh, down there. But uh, I'm sure uh, I'm sure it's going to come good for you, even if it might be a little bit uncomfortable at the moment. Um, so I think I mean what it has just continued. What what a, I think what a crisis does is it it just reinforces those things that uh, you already know, but it, it, you have what. The crisis forces you to become more conscious about your leadership, um, and uh, and so uh, for, for for me, the most important thing is to be completely authentic. Um, people need you know need to feel that they've got a uh, that they can trust uh, they can trust leadership through through the period. Um, communication is 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 absolutely critical, and uh, we've had daily communication going out to all colleagues every day since the COVID crisis started. And we've done videos, and I every 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 week I do a a coffee morning for a selection of thirty people who can choose to come along and have a Zoom with me to talk about anything in the business. I'll answer any question on anything, but 
just 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 communicating as much as much as you can but being re but also realizing i think this was where boris cocked up on uh, on sunday was when he everybody was expecting him to give substance and he didn't give substance and don't give people the impression you're going to give substance when you're not going to give substance mm -hmm. um, and what we try to do is if we're going to do if you're going to try and do something that's a bit statesperson like that uh, that you ensure that following up from that, uh, that, that, that right at the same time, there's the detail that backs it up. Otherwise, people get that initial injection of, uh, of feeling good, but then uh, then they're left wanting, mm -hmm. as I think that, that we were all left wanting. Until actually, the stuff, a lot of the stuff that's come out has been very good. It's just a bit ambiguous, as all you found in terms of what's guidance and what do you have to do. But uh, but in that ambiguity, give provides the opportunity for you to work with the HSC, as I said earlier, to come up with solutions. Anyway, back but back to leadership, I think. Yes, it is all about uh, being being as transparent as you can, but and ma but managing expectations, being honest with people, uh, being honest with people when there are things that you don't know the answers to, uh, as well. But the fact that you know what you're doing in order to work to to, to, to work uh, work through those answers, as well. Um, but what what we have found through this is that our colleague engagement has gone through the roof again um, and the thing that they're most valuing is the quality of the communication that they're, that, that they're getting from us. So a good crisis does tend to allow people to sort of put a lot of the gripes that they might have had to the back of their minds and it is a great opportunity to pull people together but only if, only as I say, if you're leading authentically. Thanks Chris. I've got a question that was emailed to me earlier from, from Andy Grant. Uh, for those who have not seen it yet, I did an interview with Andy last week, and uh, if you're looking for a bit of inspiration, I would highly recommend it. Not from me, I hasten to add, but, but from Andy. Um, and Andy's question, Chris, Bruntwood are renowned for their customer service levels, uh, and this hasn't altered throughout um, this period of time. And I have to say, as a Bruntwood customer, we've, we've been delighted with our engagement as well. How do you and the senior management team uh, keep your staff motivated, um, not just in this time of crisis, but ordinarily. What are the sort of things that Brunt would have done in terms of staff engagement, Chris? Because I know you're a keen believer of you know that strong uh, relationship between senior management and the whole of the Bruntwood family. Yeah, if I suppose if I start off more broadly, um, we um, our, our sort of uh, Bruntwood colleague proposition is that we say come to Bruntwood and shape your world and what we're looking to do is create an environment where we provide the freedom for people working for us to as the, as the saying, saying, saying goes to shape to shape their world and um, in, in doing that I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of a, of, a mo of a sort of motivation guru in America called Dan Pink who talks about the three things that motivate people as being autonomy mastery and a sense of purpose um, so creating an environment where people have a degree of, you know, a strong degree of control over what it is that they're, that they're doing. Um, uh, mastery is learning new things all the time. And we're constantly both through the jobs that people are doing, uh, uh, pushing them to, to, to discover new things and do new things, but also through training programs. And we, we, we give people um, funding to do training for things that are completely outside of what they do at work as well. So we have people doing courses in baking or sewing or Spanish or whatever it is they want to do. So they get that feeling of moving forward, that sort of whole Darwinian thing of, of us evolving. And then that, that third thing is that sense of purpose and really driving forward. Bruntwood's purpose is to create thriving cities and to, to, for people to connect to the fact that when they're getting out of bed every morning and going to work, they are working to help their cities thrive so that when their head hits the pillow at the end of the night, they can sleep sort of, you know, feeling content that they've spent their day doing something that has really, uh, has really contributed. Um, so, so say focusing on those 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 three things, and then and, and then you know practically, I, I, you know we can't you can't overstate the importance of bringing people together, um, and we you know bring we have we we have sort of groups of people from all over the business where um, that, that come together regularly, both to talk about the business and what we're doing and reconnect with that purpose etc. But also to to have fun together, and we uh, we you know we like to do that, and that's done in a way that you know everybody in the business uh, is socializing together and we have a really diverse group of people as you can imagine in the business from from our plumbers and uh, and decorators through to you know building receptionists and uh, and accounts people and everything else and 
when you get 600 of us together at Gorilla with a good band at Christmas, uh, sweat, sweating together, then uh, yeah, that all, that all helps as well. And just the other part to uh, Andy's question, Chris, was about customer engagement. Uh, and again, I, I know, you know, the Bruntwood Collective, we, we are very engaged with that in terms of an online platform. But I guess during this period in particular, it's been quite a difficult thing to, to be able to engage with customers. Well, I, well, funny enough, it hasn't um, because because everybody's wanted to engage because there's one thing they wanted to engage about, which is having discussions about uh, about the sort of financial difficulties that they've got and how we can work together on those. So actually, it's been um, a real opportunity to deepen engagement with our with our customers, um, and I you know I hope you know the vast majority of them have felt hugely supportive. There's the odd very unreasonable one, typically. They, the unreasonable ones have been the ones who are the strongest. Uh, so we've got a couple of retailers who shall remain nameless who are trading through this period. I've got one multinational retailer um, who don't pay tax in the UK and an American based who serve coffee, who, uh, who were suggesting that perhaps they shouldn't pay us any rent. Um, whereas actually the vast majority of people have, uh, have, been, have been very been very reasonable actually a few PE back ones have been very difficult as well although interestingly the PE back companies have had a challenge because the government aren't doing C bills for PE companies so have some sympathy there but there are also some fairly aggressive PE houses that are just telling the management don't pay because right. you don't have to and you can they will get enhanced returns as a result right. but now but the, the vast vast majority of customers this has been a great opportunity to really get to understand their businesses, to understand trading, and to sit down and talk about the relationship long term um, through this. So, and 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 again, that goes back to the best way of deepening engagement um, with anybody is all about good quality communication, um, and and wiring yourself for the win win as we do as a as a business. There's always uh, there's always that um, that opportunity to to look at things through that lens. Cool. Chris, last question from our audience today, and it's a, it's a fairly lengthy one from Noel Street, who's a director of 3D Read Architects. For, forgive me for not reading the whole question. I'll, I'll just, I'll just read. I've been trying to read it actually on and off as we've been talking. So <laughs> yeah. I, I get. You get the gist of it, yeah? I do, yes. And again, it's coming back to um, this idea of a, yes, whilst there is this, this big center that you've then got all of these smaller or the polycentric model as the as the as the uh, as the question says of places where you've got more and more people walking and uh, and cycling and using and, and using the pub you know the the, the 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 lower density public transport which you know there are a few legs of the Metrolink which are pretty dead at the moment because they're not the most efficient way of getting into the city centre, but could be utilised very more effectively to connect these other smaller, um, you know, smaller centres with these medium-sized centres. So I, I, I absolutely believe uh, in that, and that the as the as as the question says, the redevelopment and repurposing of the the stressed and de-stressed shopping centres in and 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 in doing so. You know, almost, I, I think the idea of the shopping centre should be dead, uh, the old-fashioned shopping centre, and these should be community centres now where people are shopping, but they're also living and working and, uh, and, where, and where you've got the leisure, where you've got leisure uh, as well. And in many cases, um, taking the roofs off them again. And, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not prejudging the outcome of the Stratford discussions at the moment, but I think, in, you know, in all likelihood, you know, that we, we will be recreating the old high street again, which was destroyed by the, you know, the creation of this great big shopping centre. And I think a lot of the great big shopping centres that we've created actually don't provide the environment that is right in these, uh, in these town centres uh, as well. So... Um, but that is a personal view because I prefer to be outdoors rather than cooped up inside. I spend all my week cooped up inside in an office and the last thing I want to do is go and spend my weekends. Uh, whereas I'm very happy strolling around, uh, you know, a vibrant town centre with cafes and interesting looking shops to poke into and out of. Because um, that's not shopping, is it? Uh, no. Anyway, so, so yeah, the redeveloping, repurposing of those stressed and de-stressed shopping centres, I absolutely think is uh, going to be a huge opportunity for our sector 
working collaboratively with local authorities and then the and stakeholders in, uh, and other stakeholders in towns as well. And I desperately hope that we're going to see some, uh, some really holistic retailers emerge who are operating in multiple towns, but are working then in those towns as to how to make those towns successful. Because if they want turnover rents, and I'm very happy to work with retailers on turnover rents, I'm going to want them shoulder to shoulder with us on driving turnover as well. And that's more than just by what they sell in their shop. It's by getting out of their shop and encouraging people into the place as well. Great answer again, Chris. Thank you. And uh, I'm not going to read out Joseph Venable's questions. He can go to one of coffee, coffee mornings and, and ask you that question himself. Well, I think I've pretty, pretty well answered it anyway, which I is yes. Well. yes. This is an opportunity of the scale of the IRA bomb in terms of rethinking about the city. And we must, must grasp it in Manchester, but not just in Manchester, in all of the cities. Sure. Uh, Alan Robson from Project 4 has said this is the best Zoom background I've seen all lockdown so let's go through the keyhole so we'll set that one up Chris. <laughs> Very good yeah. A final question from me actually um, is that uh, you know I mentioned earlier very briefly that uh, Bruntwood were engaged very involved actually in, in the Commonwealth Games in Manchester and we saw the huge lift that that gave to the city we've got the similar opportunity of course coming in Birmingham um, and I know I've asked you this before at a previous event we did in the city in Birmingham the Midlands but uh, just try and reflect Chris on your time uh, of that involvement and what you think Birmingham can potentially take as a legacy from those Commonwealth Games in a couple of years time. Yeah I, mean, I think that's the most important thing is is looking at the games and yes you've got to make it a success but you've got to look at every piece of investment that's being made. And instead of looking at it as a piece of investment to deliver the games is to look at it, what is it going to be able to drive value for over the long, long term. And that I think was the lessons that I don't own. I don't know. I think Manchester was the first place to do it, but certainly it did it through the Commonwealth games. Um, and there were a couple of successful Olympic cities that, uh, that did the same, that really focused on using the, the, the multi, you know, the, the multi-sport event to, to drive that value, uh, long, long term. Um, I think, I mean, the biggest single thing I regret from the Manchester one was the fact that we didn't capture all of the volunteers um, because it was the days before databases and things. And so all of the people that got engaged and, and had that civic pride then all disappeared. And so this time round, it's getting a database of local people who are really engaged in their, in their city and then using those people as sort of positive advocates for the city and engaging with them because... I think it's one of the things that all of our places aren't as good at as they can be. But I mean, it's interesting, this crisis is doing it. So when Andy Burnham said, well, we're not getting PPE from government, so we need to sort it out. He got, you know, he got Tim Nunes at Midas and a couple of others to get out to the business community. And within a week, the business community had gotten more than enough PPE for GM. And that's because the, the, the world is full of everybody, a vast majority of people want to help. And what we've got to do is to find a way of helping those people that want to help link in with the people that need the help. Um, and so, so, so the Commonwealth Games will provide a huge, it's a, it'll be a huge focus to pull the people of Birmingham together. And having done that, they, they need to capture that, whether that be the business that's getting engaged in the future of the city and keep those businesses engaged, or whether that be the individual residents and the people that get engaged as well. Uh, and that for me, is the biggest single uh, legacy because I still believe the biggest single reason that our business has been successful in is, has been the fact that we've been operating initially in Manchester and now in the other cities with within a culture of collaboration and that culture of collaboration has driven has driven value and Bruce Katz talked about innovation districts he said proximity density and density and a culture of collaboration and it's it's that bit where we're making one and one equal three all over the city that is the uh, is the thing that really drives value and that you know that's what downtown's wired to uh, to oil really isn't it um so yeah and just on that subject gary scott has asked is the community app still act active and the answer is gary yes it is but it's not as active as it should be and i think if we hold our hands up we launched it as a b2c app in other words, it was it was to communicate with the people in our buildings rather than the businesses per se in the buildings. I think where we are where we're working hard now is to 
is to make it a B2B app as well as a B2C app so that we can push through um, good quality community content both directly to all of the people in the buildings but also through office managers etc to ensure that we get the, uh, the penetration but if there's anything more that you would like to understand about that then please drop me a note and I'll pass you on to, uh, to the relevant, relevant people in the business. But thanks for the question and thanks for your interest in it. It's going to be a really important part of, of our business, but also uh, for, our, for, our, for our customer proposition in the future. Chris, fantastic to speak to you as always. Thanks very much for your time. Thank you, Frank. You always you give me a bit of a lift. It's always a positive discussion. Uh, and we will do that through the keyhole. I love that idea. We're going to get around <laughs> with the camera crew any day now. Uh, for our colleagues from Birmingham, uh, you may want to just uh, leave this screen and jump over to uh, the, our next event, which is happening imminently with the uh, regional mayor for Birmingham, Andy Street. Uh, our chair, Paul Cabman, is, uh, is in place now waiting for Andy to join him. So uh, if you're quick, you can go from Manchester to Birmingham in the blink of an eye. It's not all negative, this COVID-19 stuff, but well, listen, I'm sure Andy won't be negative either. Yeah, he'd be very upbeat, as, as most people, in fact, as everyone who's coming on to our podcasts have been. It's been great to see you today, mate. I really appreciate you. your time. Yeah, always. Yeah. And I hope to see you again very soon in the flesh. Thanks, Frank. See Thanks, you. Chris. See Thanks you soon.